Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, John, and thank you, choir. When cultures become less friendly towards the church, two things typically occur. One, the church typically becomes less vociferous in its evangelistic fervor. Uh, The reason for this is pretty obvious when you think about it. When people are ambivalent about your position, your message, they're even less recipient to you seeking to persuade them of that position. And so uh, it's not sharing the love of Jesus, it's proselytism. That's one thing that typically happens. We've become more of a holy huddle. The other typical drift that occurs when uh, cultures around a church become less friendly towards uh, uh, the church uh, is uh, less obvious but just as acute as uh, this kind of fortress uh, mentality. And this other tendency that occurs when cultures become less friendly towards the church is that the church typically becomes less ardent about matters of practical righteousness. You see, what happens is when people are ambivalent, not just about your message, but about your moral agenda, well, the tendency is to therefore emphasize moral behavior within the church, which is in common with the culture that we share and is not a friction point. And to downplay what is distinctively Christian morality. Those things, uh, both those things typically occur. The message becomes less at the forefront. Uh, the church is less of a church on mission and more of a holy huddle. 
And uh, inside the church, uh, typically the church becomes more syncretistic. Uh, it downplays distinctively Christian morality. And if you want a, a test case in the Bible for how this occurs, just read the book of Judges, where both those things uh, begin to take place. The people are less concerned with uh, sort of uh, moving forward uh, with uh, their mission in the land, as it were, and uh, become more like the people around about them. Now, at the time that John was writing, there was actually a group uh, who were uh, called uh, the Gnostics, and are known to history as uh, the Gnostics. Uh, This group were actually advocating a form of Christian ideology that allowed Christians to do both those things. What they were saying, you see, made it unnecessary to accept that Jesus is the Christ. We saw that last week. And also... Unnecessary uh, as well uh, to uh, have distinctively Christian righteousness. Here's how it worked. Uh, Because uh, they said Jesus was not really born in flesh, that meant, well, you can be spiritual whatever your flesh is doing practically, you see. It doesn't matter how you behave. All that matters is that you have a mystical experience, that kind of spirituality. Now, there's a certain attractiveness to these ideas for the early Christians because uh, it gave them a much easier ride with their pagan neighbors. It's much easier to get along with their pagan neighbors. That was the advantage of this message and why it was attractive. You see, now there's, uh, there's, there was no need to seek to persuade them that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, that, that's been removed. Uh, and now they don't have to be the odd bull at work or on campus. Uh, when, uh, you know, otherwise they would have to have refused to indulge in certain fleshy behaviors. It removes all the problem. Now, how would you respond if uh, you were in a church or was in a culture like that and then was faced with a message like that? What would be the right biblical response? Well, we find it uh, in front of us uh, this morning. What John is saying is uh, that at the core is the issue of identity, who we are as Christians. And he uses a little phrase to underscore that in uh, this passage. He repeats it three times, uh, twice on the same emphasis and the third time from a, a different angle, which is very significant, as we will see. And that phrase is, abide in him. Uh, that's verse 28. And then if you look down your Bible, you see chapter 3, verse 6, he returns to the same phrase. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, uh, abides in Jesus, who we are in Jesus, abides in him. And then at the end of the passage, uh, verse 9, the same thing from a different angle, perfect balance. God's seed abides in you, so you're abiding in him, and God's seed abides in you. You cannot keep on sinning. As we see, that's wonderfully challenging, but also at the end very comforting, and that's verse 9. So abide in him, John is saying, that's the solution to this uh, matter of how to live as the church in a culture that is less friendly towards what the church uh, believes and practices. And he breaks it down in three ways. He gives three reasons why we should abide in uh, Jesus. The first is this, because Jesus is coming back. That's the emphasis of the section from verse 28 of chapter 2 to verse 5 of chapter 3. I'm going to uh, explain that to you. He has sort of five different subsections to that overall uh, first point. But basically, let me just give you the overview. Before I do that, John is saying something like this. Now, you want to know uh, why you should keep on going as a Christian. 
Why not just sort of give in to the pagan agenda around you? Why should you keep on going as a Christian? Why should you abide in him? Well, let me give you one reason to remain in him, and that is that Jesus is coming back. That's a pretty good reason. (laughs) And then he says, "Uh, would you think about that with me? And he explains in five brief ways. They are these. One, verse 28, if you don't abide in uh, Jesus... Well, what's going to happen when he comes back is that you will shrink in shame, John says. So what he's encouraging the Christians to do is to think how terrible it will be if you do not abide in him when you see him when he returns. How he, it's his word, how shameful. Uh, but then on the other hand, if we do abide in him, we may have confidence So think what it's like when Jesus returns, how shameful it would be if we don't abide in him. But then think how wonderful it would be we can hold our head up high when Jesus returns. You see, that's uh, number one. Number two, uh, verse 29, he says, You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Well, so John's saying abide in him because it gives you assurance what will happen when Jesus uh, returns. You may be sure assurance. So you're saying, how do I know whether I'm really going to spend all eternity with Jesus? Well, this is how, abiding in him by practical righteousness. That's how you can be sure. It gives you evidence, as we will see. Now, conversely, you cannot be sure if you do not abide in him by practical righteousness uh, when Jesus returns. So it's a pretty good reason to make sure you do. Uh, Number three, and this uh, runs now from chapter three, verses one to three. John then comes back to the wonderful love that we've been singing about this morning, and we'll sing about it again, that this, this great love, he says, what kind of love? It's a, it's, a, it's a marveling in the love of God. What kind of love is this? That we should be called children of God, and we are. So he marvels at the love of God. But then he says, the right way to think about that amazing love of the Father means that we're called rightly his children, children of God, is that we purify ourselves as he is pure, as he is coming back. So reflection upon the love of God and that we're children of God does not lead to presumption. You know, uh, oh, so now I can do whatever I like. Oh, no, no, no. It leads, John says, to purity. So he says, verse 3, everyone who has this hope that Jesus is coming back, this hope, purifies himself as he is pure. You're going to see him. He's pure. You're going to purify yourself if you actually have that hope that he's coming back. A child wants to please his father. And so a child of God purifies himself to prepare to meet God when Jesus returns. Uh, Fourth uh, explanation of this, he says, uh, uh, what is the reason why Jesus came and is coming back? So the whole trajectory of Jesus' intention is to take away sins, to prepare for himself a holy people that would honor God. So verse 5, he came to take away sins. The whole trajectory from his first coming to his second coming is for that purpose. What is sin? It's, it's practically breaking the law. Sin is lawlessness, verse 4. And so, abide in him by practical righteousness for when Jesus returns, that will be the fulfillment of his intention that we are now a holy people for his own possession. That's Jesus' intention. He didn't die so that we could keep on sinning. He died so that we would stop sinning. See, 
And that purpose is going to be fulfilled when he returns. And then five, uh, and perhaps most profoundly, he says, uh, in him there is no sin. So it's not only Jesus' intention from the first coming to the second coming, it is who Jesus is. It's his own person. So those who abide in him, and in him there is no sin, well, they will purify themselves because he is pure, and he is coming back. I've broken it down in those five ways, but in essence, John's point is really very simple. All he's doing is he wants us to imagine what it would be like when Jesus comes back. And those who are his, who abide in him, will behave a certain way in preparation for that moment. They will have that hope. That's all he's saying. Now, you and I know that there are certain things that uh, people do not do in the presence of certain people. Uh, so, for instance, uh, you're, you can see this even at school, and in, uh, in grade school, when the children are outside uh, at recess, and perhaps they get a little overexcited, and they come back into the classroom, and they're all kind of fighting and playing around, and then the teacher walks in the room, and they stop. See, if it's a good teacher, they stop. Uh, there was a uh, now little-known pastor in England in the 19th century who at the time was reputed for his godliness, his saintliness. And actually one time he received a letter simply addressed to his name and then underneath the University of Love, England. And it made its way to him. So well-known was his godliness. Now, if you have met a holy man or woman in person, you will know that when they walk in the room... They elevate the tone by their mere presence. I'm not going to do that with him around, everyone is thinking. Well, John is saying one day Jesus will walk back into the room. So he's saying, well, act now to get ready for that moment. And he's saying, you know, you may feel pressure to compromise in behavior because of the influence of friends or contemporary culture. John says, think what it will be like when Jesus comes back. And therefore, abide in him by practical righteousness. That's his first reason. But he gives another one as well. Not only abide in him because Jesus is coming back, but also, second, abide in him because Jesus' purpose was to destroy the devil's work. <laughs> Look down with me then at verses 6 to 8, my friends. See what, what John says here. Now, he returns to his theme. Uh, no one abides in him. So he's returning to abiding in him and why we should do that. And uh, he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Well, why, John? Why is that the case? Well, then he says, uh, verse 8, because the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, John in this section is saying something like this, my friends. He's saying, look, don't be deceived. I'm not talking about perfection here. None of us are perfect, I know that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have just urged you to purify yourself. We all need to grow in this. We all need to grow in our purity. We all need to purify ourselves. Oh, that's why I'm urging you to do it. So there isn't perfection this side of glory. I know that. But don't be deceived. Anyone whose lifestyle is sinning, the general tenor of their lifestyle, who does not practice righteousness as an overall 
pattern, who's not interested in that, well, that person, uh, John is saying, is not of Jesus at all. They're not a child of God. In fact, they're a child of the devil. Now, in some ways, I wish there was some gray area here that John is outlining, but there isn't. He just, he's child of God or child of devil? He says, well, see, why is that? He says, because, you see, the devil from the beginning was sinning, and Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, so those who practice sinning as the overall tenor of their life are not really a child of God at all? You try writing a book like that today? That's his message. It's that clear. It's that, that, it's that. Those are the two options. There are no other options on the table. See, John is actually trying to be very helpful pastorally. He's using a diagnostic to undeceive uh, them and perhaps us. He says, let no one deceive you. And in fact, this may have been something that someone was actually saying. Perhaps she was, he or she was saying something like this. Uh, look, look, you don't need to worry about holiness. You're forgiven. You're a child of God. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. Your soul is saved. Spirituality is what counts. Morality, that's for legalists. You prayed a sinner's prayer, didn't you? You're a child of God. Do whatever you like. And John says, no. A child of God evidences the characteristics of the father, like any child does, of his or her father. And if the characteristic pattern of a person is sinning, that person may be a child, but he's not a child of God. You see, he, he carries on to make it crystal clear. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> so it's been very practical. What is done? The works of the devil. Now, again, we're not perfect. No one can be the side of glory. But if we're not purifying ourselves, if our intention is not that, if our characteristic of our lifestyle is not on the path of righteousness, then we cannot hide behind a profession of faith. A profession of faith without a practice of faith is, in fact, a characteristic of a child of the devil. Why? Because Jesus came to destroy the works, the practice of the devil. That's who he is. That's his purpose, John says. And so these people then were living in a culture not friendly to Christian values in a way far more intense than any of us may think is going on in our day and age. And therefore, these people are understandably trying to sort of stay Christian while de-emphasizing the practical side of Christian righteousness, any friction point with their pagan neighbors. And John is saying, with great love, he's saying, well, beloved, dear children, I understand all that. I've experienced some friction points myself. <laughs> I understand that. But remember this. You have an encounter that is coming far more intimidating when Jesus comes back, the parousia, when he returns. Far more intimidating is that encounter than any potential encounter at a court of law or at the court of the popularity of your peers. And so abide in Jesus. Remember that the way we behave evidences who, who we are. 
So abide in him in practical righteousness uh, for uh, Jesus' coming back and because Jesus' purpose was to destroy the devil's work. That's his purpose. Therefore, we need to be on that purpose of uh, righteousness. Well, third and final reason that John gives to abide in him is not only because of Jesus' return and Jesus' purpose, but also he changes the emphasis now to say because Jesus' seed abides in you. This is verses 9 to 10, my friends. So look down there with me if you will. And he says, uh, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's or his, uh, there's a footnote in the ESV indicating uh, God's or his, for God's seed abides in him. So he's changed the focus, can you see? God's seed abides in you, in him. Now, his refers generally to God, but not probably specifically God the Father, but God the Son. And so, you see, John has said, abide in him, that is Jesus, for Jesus is coming back. Abide in him, that is Jesus, for practical righteousness is Jesus' purpose. And then he says, abide in him because his, that is Jesus' seed, abides in you. Now, it could be simply generally God, including Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But either way, the point is this, that the seed refers to the seed of the Word, which is sown in us when we believe. It causes us by God's Spirit to be born of God. Now, this is critical we understand this. This is the point of confusion so often from which so many people need to be undeceived. Basically here, John is saying, as Christians, we have a new nature. And so becoming and being a Christian is not a matter of mere choice or background or lifestyle. A Christian is someone born of God. They have God's seed in them. They have a new nature And so John is not just saying here, you know, a Christian will make a strong effort to do right most of the time. No, he's saying a Christian is a new person, someone born of God, the seed of God's Word sown in them, a new baby. And so while they will on occasion from time to time fail, no one is perfect the side of glory, the practice of their lives, the characteristic of their behavior is one that cannot keep on sinning, he says. And so by that, he's not saying cannot as an imperative, as a command here. You know, you cannot do that. He's not saying that. He's saying cannot as a description of inevitable reality. You you cannot. In the same way that when we say we see someone born of a certain family, we can spot the family likeness, you know. Oh, I can see where they come from. The apple does not fall too far from the the tree, you know. So with those born of God, there will be a family likeness. Or they're not born of God. Those born of God will practice righteousness And that includes a a love for his brother, for one another. By this it is evident 
It's evidence that John is talking about here. By that it's evidence that we are children of God. So abide in him. Why? He's coming back. His purpose is practical righteousness. Get on that purpose. Because his seed abides in us, so such practical righteousness then evidences, it shows whether we are really his or not. Now all that makes quite a difference to a behavior that perhaps you are struggling with. It makes quite a difference to the fact that uh, perhaps there's someone here in the church that you find it really hard to get along with. And maybe even, if you're honest, there's some hate or bitterness. If you're a child of God, you're going to pursue righteousness and love for one another. And if you're not, you better become a child of God. Only if God's seed abides in you is it possible to say you just cannot keep on sinning. If you find it impossible to practice righteousness in any general pattern, if you find it impossible to love these weird people who go to church on Sunday. And I don't want to say, you know, look better. I want to say get born of God. So it's a challenge, isn't it, for us also who live in a day and age where there are some who are not friendly to the values and the message for which uh, the Christian church stands. It's a challenge, but it's also deeply, as I said at the beginning, comforting. So maybe you do see elements in, in contemporary culture that are leading in certain directions and, and you fear that they might go further that way, or you see the impact of a downgrade of moral values in, 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 other, in other aspects. You're not sure what the church should say or what the church should do about it. Well, here it is. John says to these Christians pressurized to compromise with a Gnostic, amoral spirituality, he says, here it is, just abide in him. That's all. No more is required. Haven't you heard? (laughs) He's coming back. Think of who you are. You are a child of God. What higher status could there be? The world may not know us. It's just because it does not know Him. Therefore, abide in Him. Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you. I thank you for the clarity with which John draws his lines here. I thank you also for the uh, tenderness with which he does that and the affection he clearly displays as he writes. Father, perhaps there are some here who grew up in the church and have adopted certain cultural expressions 
They know the language and the lingo and the way of dressing and talking. But there is very little practice of righteousness or love for other believers. Father, I pray uh, for such a person here this morning that your seed of the word would um, abide in him or her and uh, therefore the person will be born of God no longer just culturally a Christian but born of God Father perhaps there are others here who uh, feel pressure at work or at school or in their neighborhood or they read uh, blogs or listen to various news channels and they get worried. Father, I pray for such people. Would you help them to uh, hear the comforting uh, aspect of this passage, to abide in him? He's coming back. And so to practice righteousness thank you Jesus in whose name we pray amen